The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. We are so excited to be here with you live this Wednesday morning. You know that I love Wednesdays. Normally on Wednesday morning we start out with Dr. Doreen Grampichet in a segment that we call Ask Dr. Doreen. And then in the second hour we do Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot Jackson joins me for that hour. Uh, today we're going to change things up a little bit, uh, partially because we don't have Dr. Grampichet, but we are going to have her next week. For the, the last week of the year, we are going to have Dr. Grampichet. But also because we've got two really wonderful guests who are going to be with us this morning via Skype to talk about this new book that is an essential read. I, oh man, I get goosebumps just thinking about what a great gift this is for a family whether they're newly diagnosed or been down the road. This is like the couple's book for autism. It's called The Warner Boys, and Kurt and Anna Warner are going to be joining us in just a few minutes via Skype. Um, the name may sound a little bit familiar to you because Kurt Warner is, you have to understand, I'm not a football aficionado. I apologize for that. So these terms are new to me, so I have to read them. He's a two-time All-American from Penn State, a 2009 college football Hall of Fame inductee and a former All-Pro running back for the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles Rams. Boy, that's quite uh, an accomplishment for even to my ears, which are not NFL tuned. You know what I'm saying? Um, but so that's part of his resume. He's also an autism dad to two boys. And um, he has written this book along with his wonderful and talented wife, Anna Warner. And Anna, uh, who is an amazing person in her own right, but as many as of, of us understand, kind of upended her entire life and became the advocate for the family for autism. We always say there's a project manager. She became the project manager. But this book is written by the two of them. It's just newly out. They did this in conjunction with Dave Bowling. Um, and a little help from their oldest son who is not on the spectrum. So we're going to be talking with them about this book and why it's super important in just a few minutes. But I want to remind you that we're going to be live for these two hours. It is always our intent to be interactive. We want to talk to you, hear your thoughts, feelings, questions, and concerns. There are lots of different ways that you can connect with us. Gabriel, did you already show them? Did I already miss that part? Okay, so Gabe is going to show you uh, all the different ways that you can get in touch with us here at the show. And while he does that, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, we're sort of transitioning between two websites. So you can still find us at autism-live.com. 
I believe, <laughs> as of today. Um, but there's also the news, the new website, which has been in beta. Uh, so you can get to us at http colon backslash backslash beta dot autism hyphen live dot com. I need more of you to go there. You're all creatures of habit and are hanging out on the old website. But I don't know if that's because you love the old website or because you can't remember the HTTP beta thing. Um, but I need more of you to go to the new website so we can convert to the website, especially while we are live. Uh, it's a little bit different setup in the two places. If you're on the old website, there's a, it looks like a desktop and there's a little itty bitty screen and you only get one choice and you have to click on the triangle and it starts playing either the live show or the most recently recorded live show. And to the side of all that, it takes up a whole lot of space on the screen is what we call the live feature and you can put your cursor there and start entering and it hit enter and it shows up here on my screen and you and I can have a conversation. Now on the new website, it looks like Hulu, right? It's like all these uh, videos and you can choose from thousands of videos. But when we are live, there's a, supposed to be a little red button up in the corner that flashes live. If you click on it, you, it'll full screen the live show so that you don't have to be seeing everything else, right? And then there is a little itty bitty button at the bottom that says chat. And if you hit the chat, then you can have a private conversation with me that I can share your question with our guests. That's the way it's supposed to work, but we need more of you to be testing it out. Um, and we think that it's great. We think the new website is wonderful, but we're going to hang on to the old website. Even when we convert to the new one, you'll just have to type in old before autism-live.com, and then you'll be able to get it. So it's, it's all good for everybody. But, um, but you can talk to us on either site right now. I should have them both up here so that we can have big conversations. Um, and I want to remind you, I always like to remind you this at the start of our shows, that we have a lot of experts that are here on the show, and I'm not one of them. I am an autism mom. I am in your corner, because if you're watching this show, I know you're part of the autism community. And I think that there are a lot of credentials that welcome you to the autism community. You could be a parent, you could be a practitioner, you could be a teacher, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, right? Or you could be a person on the autism spectrum yourself, of course. All of you we welcome here to Autism Live. We feel that you have a valid viewpoint because we know that we, even though we all have a million things that are not in common and a million things that we won't agree on, there's one thing that we all agree on, and that's that we all care deeply, in fact, love someone on the autism spectrum, and we want to help them to get to the progress that they deserve, right? and to be treated with dignity as the human beings that they are. Um, so that's what we all have in common and that's, that's something we can all get behind. Aside from that, I know that there are different things that each one of you needs and that this is not a one size fits all. I do like to be here I like to picture myself as the old-time telephone operator, you know, where they would pull up the things and plug them in and go, hold on a second, connecting you with, you know, that kind of a thing. That's what I want to be for you. So if you write it and say, hey, I need help with this, I want to pull that string and go, oh, you know who I know who can help with that? Connecting you, right, and hook you up with that. That's how I envision, because you know I have a lot of karmic debt to pay off. My son got all the help and support that he needed at the right time. And and we got incredibly lucky. 
So I have karmic debt to pay off. Help me out. Ask me to do something. Put me to work so I can pay down my karmic debt, right? All right. So that's uh, our story here. I'm on your side. That's, that's, and you know what we say. Si se puede. We hold hands. We do this together. All right. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to have Kurt and Anna Warner, authors of the Warner Boys, with us. You're not going to want to go away. So stick with us. Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. Parent-to-parent -parent token economies are a great way to get to good behavior with your child. So first of all, let's talk about what is a token economy. It's just a visual representation of reinforcement or a reward that's going to come later on for behavior that you've done now. So I've got a couple examples here of uh, token economies that I want to show you. But one of the most important things to remember with a token economy is that it's essential that whatever the child is working for be meaningful to them. So here, this is a two-part token economy. I've got a list of things for the child to pick from, to pick what they want to work for. So the child would pick off the one they want, put it on their other token economy, and you can see it says, I'm working for a play date. What a great thing to work for. And as this child progresses through their day at school, every time they do a task and they do a good job, they're going to get a token to put on this token economy. And we've got a rule in place for them that says maybe you have to get three tokens in order to get that reward, which today is a play date. And as the child gets better, we're going to make it harder and harder. Maybe next week it's going to be four tokens to get the play date. This is another token economy here. This is a task completion token economy, so every time the child completes a task that there's a picture of, they can peel off a token and put it on to demonstrate that they have completed that task. Again, it's essential that they get a really wonderful, meaningful reward for having gotten these tokens. Using a token economy can be much simpler than this, too, because you can download them to put a free app on any one of your devices. Right here on my phone, I've got a free app, Easy Kid Tokens. And when my child does a task and completes it, and I, he can specify what the stickers are. In this case, it is a ladybug. And when he gets three of them, then he's going to get his reward. This is a really simple way to take something with you when you're going on an outing and make sure that your child is staying on task and getting rewarded for the things that they do. It leads to good behavior. One of the most frightening things there is is when your child wanders away or elopes. A lot of adults don't really believe kids. They think, oh, kids are kids. What are they talking about? But when a child stands up for what they believe in, it's so strong and powerful. I first got involved with autism advocacy four years ago when my friend was diagnosed. When I found out about my friend's diagnosis, I didn't really understand what it meant. But it didn't matter to me or change our friendship. I didn't look at her any differently. We still had so much fun together. Now I know that she experiences life a little differently than me, and that's okay. 
Knowing what she goes through has helped me to understand and be more caring towards other people in similar situations. I got involved with ACT Today because I wanted to do whatever I could to help. They provide options like behavioral therapy, medical care, social skills programs, assistance to military families, and much more. Being there for my friend was my number one priority. I've been volunteering and spreading the word about the cause via my social media platform because raising awareness is a crucial first step. There needs to be more kids and teens involved to make sure that our voices are heard just as loudly as the adults. You may be small like me, but your acts of kindness are not. Hey, welcome back. See, I'm arranging my desk. I'm so excited because we have joining us via Skype, Kurt and Anna Warner. They are the authors of the War Warner Boys. Excuse me, I got so excited because I could see you guys. Uh, and we got to we, we got to take care of a little business in terms of intros. And I and Kurt, I apologize because I do not speak NFL. So, okay. but but you have uh, I know even though I don't speak NFL, you have an amazing resume. You're a two-time All-American from Penn State, 2009 College Football Hall of Fame inductee, former All-Pro running back for both the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles uh, Rams, a three-time Pro Bowler, and you were inducted into the Seattle Seahawks Ring of Honor in 1994. For my friends who speak NFL, they're, they they love that, right? I I don't know what it means, but I know it's super impressive. That's what I know. And and Anna, I, I don't want to take anything away from you because uh, as a mom and a mom of two four children and two boys on the spectrum, this you have taken this on and become the project manager. And often there are no awards for that, but I know from reading your book, you deserve an award. For my wife, okay. is I would call her the most valuable person, the MVP. Yeah. So she does a great job. Couldn't do it without her. And uh, yeah, with uh, it's just a total team effort. Yeah, I I gotta say, you guys, I got goosebumps earlier talking about this. I'm getting them again. Love, 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 love the book. Can't tell you how much I love this book. You know, when I was reading some of the reviews, some of the words that were said again and again were uh, how honest, how unflinching this book is, and I certainly found that to be true. I found that to be very accurate. It's as though you guys, there's no pretense here. You, there's, you lay it all out on the table for everybody, every little bit. I'm holding the book in front of your face, Anna. Um, let's start with... Why? What would motivate you to lay bare everything that, it, from the sounds of it in the book, there are a lot of people in your life that didn't even know the depths of the things that happened. Why did you decide that you were going to write this book now? Can they hear me? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we had a call failure. Let's try again. We lost them. Let's see if we can't get them back on the phone. Hang on a second. We're calling again. Hello. Hang on one second. Are you there? We got you now. Okay. So I was just saying there are people, I was saying how much I love the book. I don't know if you heard that. But I was saying that there are people in your life that don't know what you guys have been through. What would possess you to write such an honest book where you really lay it all out? What made you do this now? 
No, I think we, we have a story to tell. Um, and uh, people needed to hear um, and learn what it is like living the way we do. And there's so many families like ours. So um, that, I think that was one of the purposes of writing the book. And, and yeah, I, and I did all that. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that we we initially said, "Hey, let's just do." I think it developed over a period of time, and then as uh, I guess as things kind of settled somewhat, yeah. we were able to kind of catch our breaths and say, "Okay, let's let's see what we have here uh, when it comes to a story." And yeah. a real. Originally, I think it all started when we spoke at a uh, conference at Penn State, uh, State College, Pennsylvania, and we had to put together an outline. And then once we put together that outline, it sort of gave us uh, an idea as to maybe perhaps we have a book here. Yeah. And wasn't there a, uh, a particular pastor um, who had a message for you about why this was going to be important? Yeah, our, our pastor, our late pastor, uh, Pastor Ken Hutchison in Seattle, uh, in the beginning of our journey, uh, told us uh, one day that, you know, guys, you have a story to tell. You should write a book. And uh, I just laughed and said, yeah, right. Who's going to have time to do this? Um, but here we are. Yeah, here we are. And I do, I agree with your pastor. I think that you do have a story. Obviously, you have a story to tell. But more than that, I think your story is going to be so healing for a lot of couples, quite honestly. I think that one of the brilliant things about the book, besides the fact that you guys are so painstakingly honest, um, is the way in which you tell the story that you go back and forth. And Anna, you tell your side of it. And then Kurt, um, you tell your side of it. And there are things in the book that just, oh, just, it was amazing to hear both sides of it. I want to I, I wanna start by not talking about the autism because I think that one of the things that's particularly healing in the book is that you talk about the road leading up to having children at all. And it was a bumpy experience for you guys having children. Uh, the first pregnancy, you had a stillborn child. I cannot imagine how painful that had to have been. But I want to applaud you for including that in the book because people don't talk about these things. And, and I, like I said, I can't even imagine um, how devastating that was. But to hear first you talk about it, Anna, and then to hear Kurt talk about it, oh, there are some men that need to read that, right? <laughs> I think it is important, yeah. uh, and, I, and I think that's why you see so much uh, the, the numbers of divorce in the autism community. Um, we, as the moms, want the, the husbands to feel the same way we do. We are different. Uh, men and women are different. Yeah. And they uh, uh, feel and express uh, things different than we do. So I cannot ask him to be uh, fighting the same way I'm fighting. Um, so it took a long time for me to see that, but I think it's important that uh, other families, other couples see that, that we are different, we experience things different, so I thought it was good to see uh, both voices. And from the guy side of it, I, I think initially it is mostly about denial, coming to the realization yeah. that, you know, there's something wrong with your son. 
And uh, I think once you get past that particular arena, whereas you're in denial, because you have to come to the realization that there is something wrong here. I, we can't put our, our hand on it. We can't nail it down, but there's something wrong. So that I think that's important for guys initially. Yeah. And then the next phase is, okay, well, for me it was, how do we fix this? Uh, went through that phase for a while yeah. as to how do we fix this? How do we cure this? You're telling me there's no remedy to this. I, I just can't accept that. Okay, so then that's the second phase. And then the third phase you go, okay, well, it's going to take some time to get this done, and it may not ever happen. So then you go through the third phase, you're going like, man, we're, we're, what this can we do? That, yeah. This is it. So, uh, And then I don't know what year, the 10th year or the 5th year or the, the 20th year where you – you, you come to the realization that you say, hey, we just want our children to be happy yeah. and, and, healthy. and healthy. And that's yeah. really where, where we're at. And, and you guys really do go through all the different phases here in the book and you compare notes. So it, when we're doing the time, people need to read it because there are things in here that are just mind-blowing, mind-blowingly honest, things that I haven't seen anybody else write about you guys. So I applaud you for this book. Uh, and I do think it's a couple's book. I think this is a book that one member of the, of the, the partnership should get and that the couple should read together. Uh, yeah. Maybe get two copies of it so you can be reading it at the same time because I think, I, I think this is very healing for a couple to go, oh, we're not the first people to feel this way. Oh, we're not yeah. the first people to get frustrated with each other. Oh, we can survive this and get through this. And, oh, I mean... There's a point when you guys talk about depression, I have never heard people talk as succinctly about depression and what it was like for each one of you. I've not, I haven't seen that in print, so congratulations, because that's a real service. Uh, let's, let's journey back, though. So you guys, uh, you go through a very bumpy start to your family that you, you lose a child, devastating, have another miscarriage, and then finally, you get pregnant with the, the, your first child, who is not on the spectrum. Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan. And, um, and it seems like to me that the, you know, that had to have been nerve-wracking up until when you had the, the healthy child. And we, we, I should mention that we had talked about it before, the, before we went live, that there will be some noise in the background in your house. Because, <laughs> because you have two boys that are on the spectrum that are home today. Yeah. And, and I had said to you, autism mom, I get it. Our audience gets it too. But let's just acknowledge that there are things going on around you. Plus you have dogs. And it's all good. <laughs> we're, we're, we're used to that. Although the dogs will eventually steal the interview, it's all good. Um, but so you, you finally have this idyllic thing that you wanted. You've got a family. You've got a healthy little boy. And how soon after that did you realize you were pregnant with twins? Uh, I think we got pregnant six months after Jonathan was born. Okay, so very yeah, quickly. Very quickly. And, um, and how overwhelmed were you guys feeling about going from having one child to having three children all at the same time? Oh, my gosh, it was a nightmare. Um, a joyful night. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was I was dealing with postpartum depression, um, trying to breastfeed twins with a toddler running around, and uh, and yeah, praise, praise God, he was home um, most of the time. Uh, he was 
not too long after retirement yeah. from football. So I, he helped. I mean, he slept with the babies um, for three months so I could rest. So uh, it was a struggle. And then yeah. these, these boys were not, these boys were very busy boys, uh, especially the twins. They weren't sleeping, which meant that you weren't sleeping. How were those first, first couple of years? Well, the, I think the beginning, was, it was good. They reached all the milestones, you know, all the benchmarks, and uh, it was good. But after, I'll say 18 months, two years, yeah. they started... Uh, uh, we, there's no sleeping. I mean, they were hyper. Um, we have their little toddler beds. Eventually, we kind of tied the beds together so they slept close to each other. And uh, it, but it was just nonstop. And there, was, yeah, there was no remedy to what was going yeah. on. And, and in comparison to Jonathan, which is probably not the fair thing to do, but that's the only, you know, the, the, the only measuring tool that you have. Uh, they they were uh, they were more active. Yeah, opposite. More active. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan yeah. was a calm, quiet baby and um, very happy all the time, always smiling. So it was the opposite. Yeah, and and it wasn't like you guys weren't noticing. You were looking and going. Something is definitely up here, and you were going to doctors. But what what do you think now, looking back? Why weren't you getting a diagnosis? The numbers back then uh, uh, were, I don't know if it was one in 5,000 or one in 10,000. So autism was not prevalent. Um, so we didn't uh, hear anything about autism. So um, I thought it was ADHD yeah. because it was so busy. Um, and, uh, you know, we had the, the language issue that they were bilingual at the time and they had their own language. So it was just always like, oh, you know, boys are usually late. They will talk uh, eventually, and they will have their own language, and that, you know, we just keep pushing, keep pushing, and nothing. So when did you finally get the diagnosis? We moved from the Seattle area to um, the Vancouver area in Washington, which is close to Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Um, in 1999, and a month after we moved here, we went to a developmental pediatrician, and five minutes in the room. Yeah, five minutes. That was yeah. so striking to yeah. me in the book that after everything you went through and nobody could put their finger on it, and this woman took one look at them and went, yeah, that's autism. Uh, and that was with Asta, who is a little bit more high-functioning than Christian. So I was, and he was, they were almost five years old at the time. Wow. And they had, as you mentioned, they had some language, but about how many words were your five-year-old saying at that point? About five. About five. Austin had about five uh, uh, words, Christian less than five, some in Portuguese, some in English, and um, a more... Um, Disney. Yeah, more Disney yeah. probably than, than anything else. Than anything else. But not your normal, yeah. uh, typical, uh, atypical. Now, the first word that Austin said was Pocahontas. <laughs> right, and you so, say in the book how um, shocking to hear your child say Pocahontas when he can't say mama. 
Exactly. And I think that says it all. I mean, it's it's like what's what's happening here. Okay, so you get this diagnosis at five, and um, and and what were both of your reactions at that point? Okay, my reaction initially was, uh, how do we fix this? And I, I there was no answer, uh, and I asked a couple of times during the conversation. So you're telling me that there is no fix to this because normally guys are fixers and right. we, we problem solve and we come up with a solution and we go through the steps and the processes and then they're going to be fine and they're going to be okay. I got nothing. And yeah. needless to say, I was not happy about that response. But at the same time, I still had no idea as to what uh, autism was mm -hmm. and uh, how it related to, to us and how it was going to affect our lives, how it was going to change things. Because yeah. you go from you're thinking, you know, it's, it's the family tree. You're going to go from A to Z. They're going to go to school. They're going to go to college. You're going to get married and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, things do change, but you don't know exactly how they're, how they're going to change. And then you're always hoping uh, that uh, somehow we, we can get through this and, and, and see the atypical side of things. And we're still looking for that. Uh, but uh, it, things have uh, definitely uh, come into, you know, realization as yeah. to where we are. For me, I went, we went home, I got on the computer, and I typed autism and, and saw uh, some uh, descriptions of what um, autism was, and I was like, oh, my gosh, uh, these some of the behaviors that the boys have. Um, and then it was like, okay, what can I do? And I read about ABA, and I read about diet, and uh, I started digging. And uh, it was my mission to fix it. Uh, and um, different ways of fixing it. Different ways. Yeah, had a way of fixing it. She had a way of fixing it. And uh, yeah. and I fought hard for that. Um, that we needed to fix it. Yeah, I, I'll, you know, honestly, I was really struck. I, I, I want my husband to read the book now because <laughs> I was really struck by, you know, the descriptions that you have in the book, Anna, of talking about how you really went down the rabbit hole and you were like, I'm going to find out every, you became a researcher. You became the person yep. who was going to find out all the answers and talk to all the people. And I think that there's probably, you know, thousands of mom, myself included, who totally identify with that. But it yep. was so healing to me, Kurt, to read what that felt like for you. Tell our audience, watching your wife become a little obsessed with this whole no, other little culture. Little I, I take that back. Not a little obsessed. A little, I mean, obsessed to a point to where you, you have to go down in the rabbit hole and pull her back out of there and say, right. hey, and, I'm and, out here. Let's rethink this. Let's slow this thing down. Uh, let's talk rationally about it. It was and, me against and not, the world. And not emotionally about it. And right. I don't know... And she still is that way, but not nearly as much. But she had her mind set on fixing this, and uh, and I was, you know, I was there with her. But then there are times when you got to go, okay, time out here for a second. Let's let's rethink this. 
and let's talk about this before you go back down that rabbit hole again. Then I got to go in there and pull her back out again. So yeah. we, I think we work well in that way. I don't know what year it kind of, we figured it out. Maybe it was the fifth year or the tenth year. <laughs> or the, we're still trying to figure that out. But, uh, you know, I, 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 we, we trust the fact that we can trust each other. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's really what, what the key is. We love each other dearly. Yeah. We trust each other. We know that there are going to be moments, and there still are going to be moments, where and he so, comes up and I'm right. Okay, let's do it. And he's like, okay, no, let's, let's, think, let's about this. Yeah, think about this. Let's see if it's the right thing to do. So, um, and you know how that goes. Right. We love our children unconditionally. <laughs> we, we want what's best for them, but we also have to get our emotions under control at the same time, too, and try to do the right thing. We but, balance each other. But, Anna, I love that you both talk about how frustrating that can be. Like, I had never seen somebody talk about it this honestly. I can totally see that in my husband and I, that I'm like, you know, the whirling dervish. I'm going to get as much done. What do we have to get done? Let's do this. And he'll go, well, just a minute. And that sometimes there's frustration about to the husband about, why aren't you on board? Why aren't you with me on yeah. this? Yeah. And you talk about that, Anna, in a really honest way. And... What's, what's fabulous is that you guys are still together. It wasn't the end when you got frustrated with each other. It wasn't the end when you got afraid that the other one wasn't on board with you. What do you think it is in your marriage that allowed you to not see it each other's way, to get frustrated with each other, and to still be together and strong? Yeah, it's our faith and our love for each other. Um, just really... Uh, I respect my husband, and he respects me, and that, that, that I think, is the main thing that we just, um, we don't fight like... Um, but we can disagree. We can disagree. We disagree quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, but yeah. we don't fight like a lot of, some people, you know, go into heavy-duty kind of arguing, screaming, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, don't. we don't do that. So we have a mutual respect and love for each other, and our faith at what kept us together. Well, it's a I mean, beautiful it's thing. It's difficult. <laughs> we, you know, the, you know, uh, the, the Pastor Hutchison, who yeah. passed away, the late Pastor Hutchison did some marriage counseling yeah. with us. And he was my good friend, my best friend, one of my good friends. And I thought in our counseling process, he was going to be on my side, but <laughs> really he was on her side. <laughs> and that really made me upset uh, with him. But, you know, he, he basically told us, uh, to write things down, but the communication, thing that, but major he, thing. Yeah. But he also said that hey, you know what, divorce is not an option. Yeah. Uh, and from sports, uh, you, you learn that you know what, that things are going to go your way, things aren't going to go your way. Mm -hmm. Hang in there, be tough. And also, I learned from my parents. Uh, my my father was probably uh, the, the most uh, caring, uh, unselfish person that I've ever known, ever been around. So he was a great example. And uh, so, so those are just things that you learn from. But you know what? We're not, we're not going to give up. We're going to continue to fight on. We're going to continue to hope that there's going to be some type of uh, answer to this uh, situation when it comes to, to autism. And if it's not, then you know what? This is the hand we're dealt. Yeah. And uh, we're just going to make the best of it. All right, I'd love to take a short little break and then come back and talk a little bit about the interventions that you guys went through and the progress that you had and didn't have 
and how the boys are all doing now and, and the rest of your family because you have a bigger family than just the two boys. Uh, does that sound good to you guys? Okay. So we're going to take a short break. Don't anybody go anywhere. Stick with us. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. Welcome back to Autism Live in this very special hour where we're talking to Kurt and Anna uh, Warner, they are the parents of four children, two of which are on the autism spectrum. They have a new book that just came out in the last, did it come out this last week, you guys? First of December. Yes, First of December. Uh, wonderful, wonderful book, The Warner Boys. It's available on Amazon. Um, you can get it there. And I really want to encourage you in this holiday season to get this book, get it. For a couple that you know, I'm suggesting getting two books, one for each partner, because I I don't know if you intended it to be this, but I think it's a great book for couples. Because as you read through it, they'll, you know, first Anna will tell her side of something that happened, and then Kurt tells his point of view. It's very healing to hear what it's like from the other person's uh, point of view. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it and can't wait for my husband to read it. We mentioned at the start of the show that Kurt is a uh, former all-pro running back for the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles uh, Rams. He's a three-time pro bowler and uh, was inducted in the Seattle Seahawks Ring of Honor in 1994. And we were saying that Anna, no less impressive, 
uh, is the MVP for autism in the family. She's there the you go. project exactly. project manager. A lot of us understand that how that goes. Um, we've been talking with them about this amazing book and their journey. First having uh, one child who's not on the spectrum, then very quickly afterwards having twin boys that were on the spectrum getting the diagnosis. And, and what that was like getting the diagnosis. You very quickly uh, found what you hoped was an answer. You heard about ABA therapy, and for the first time, you heard a word. Uh, we, we refer to it as one of the R words here on the show, uh, the word recovery. And um, it's a word that we talk about a lot on the show. And, and I have to say that I really appreciated your point of view in the book um, because, spoiler alert, that's not what happened for your kids. Uh, but I, I really heartfeltly appreciated that your point of view in the end of the book, and I'm not, I'm not giving anything away, but that you, you talk about what it's like for kids who do make more progress at the end of the book. And I just thought that that was a beautiful thing, Anna. So you, you guys did do ABA therapy, correct? Yes, yes, we did. We did it for, for a while, for a long time. Now I think it was three to four years. See, there it is, that relativity of what it is. And how intensively were you able to do it? Because back then, funding was not, it was few and far between, uh, right? Zero. Yeah. Funding. Yeah. We, when the boys were diagnosed at the age of five, they were supposed to start uh, kindergarten. And um, we went, I met uh, a good friend of mine, Helen, um, uh, autism hippie. I don't know if you heard of her. Yeah. Uh, Helen Rosenberg. And uh, she was the one who introduced the whole ABA to us, and we put a program together during the summer. So when the school, when we were ready for school, um, and we got uh, uh, an appointment with the school uh, district, uh, they couldn't uh, they couldn't uh, provide the appropriate uh, placement for them. So we that's that autism mama using the the right word appropriate. Yes, appropriate. <laughs> a bunch of progress in the boys in the beginning with ABA. Am I correct? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, even the school district, because they came and uh, observed the boys before we started the ABA. And then they came back a week later, and they were like, whoa. The boys had learned a few words. They learned how, you know, how to, they were learning to count. And the school was in shock at how, much progress they had made, so they just said, "Okay, we will um, we'll pay for the the ABA at home." Wonderful, but a, along the road, and I, I'm sure that your hopes were high at that point. 
that, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. that you were going to get to a point and you'd heard tales of kids in Ivar Lovas's Young Autism Project that got to the point where they were virtually indistinguishable from their neurotypical peers. But at some point, the, the, the progress seemed to stall. What, yeah. When did that happen? And what do you, now looking back, what do you think that was? Uh, I think it was about when they were in third grade. That was when, because they went to a private school with an aide um, that we provided, and they were doing great, uh, have, making friends and all of that. So when they got to third grade, they were not able to keep up academically, um, and there were behaviors. Uh, Christian started banging his head, and uh, and. Issues. Yeah, and yeah. we had no idea what was going on. He did that for three years, so we had to homeschool them. And that was, I think, the point that I thought, okay, this is, I don't think we're going to uh, be able to go any further than uh, what they are right now. There was a lot of um, medical issues, a lot of, uh, we're doing biomedical interventions, and there were, um, there was pain that we didn't know where it was coming from or how to fix it. Yeah. And, and you talk about kind of, it seemed like to me in the book, segmenting things out that were autism and things that were OCD. That there are a lot of OCD behaviors in the boys, and is that still true? That they they still struggle with the OCD, the self-stimulatory kinds of things. Christian has pandas, pediatric autoimmune um, disorder associated with the strep um, bacteria. So he has pandas, and the OCD is a huge part on that. Austin has Lyme disease, so we're dealing with you know two things that uh, uh, kind of get together with autism, it gets a little bit more complicated. Yeah, yeah, but it, but I have to say, and, and again, people need to read the book to hear the whole story because there are things that I'm, I'm not going to give away in the book, but there's a whole section in the book when you talk about an event that was life-changing for the family that people need to read. I, I just, I, like, take my word for it. You guys need to read this. And not only do you tell it from your point of view, but you have your oldest son, Jonathan, step in to write a chapter that's absolutely just... Oh, man, powerful. Um, but, but then, you know, we, we get to see a little bit of a snapshot of where your boys are now. Maybe tell us a little bit about what, what's happening with them now. The twins are 24. Um, Christian, uh, who's more affected by autism, uh, is, has a job. Actually, he's been working for SEH of America, which is, Shinetsu of America, a Japanese company over here in Vancouver. He's been there for the past three years yeah. now. He works two hours a day uh, with a coach. His language is limited, um, and but he loves his job. Um, and I think it's the two-hour break from his twin, I think, helps a lot. Um, but... Uh, they're employable, and they, you know, that's a meaningful thing in life. It's Austin is unemployed right now. We're in the process of um, 
H America as, as well, well initially, yeah. but yeah. Uh, unfortunately we we had we some, some behavioral issues and uh, uh, looking yeah. for a, a new place to, yeah. to work. But well, we're confident that uh, that that will happen yeah. sooner rather than later. Yeah. That's that professional athlete. I love this attitude, Kurt, that you have about, well, we're going to get it done. Uh, we yeah. tried this and this didn't work, so we're going to get it done. It's, uh, I'm sure that it's part of what made you so successful on the football field and successful in business, uh, which I want to get to in a minute. But uh, we haven't talked about, and, and yet I think it's one of the most amazing parts of your story that there is a fourth child in your family <laughs> that in addition to the the warner boys there is a warner girl tell us about how she came into your life well first of all let me let me just say this okay i wanted nothing to do with it when the uh when the idea initially uh came up well, I was, let's say what it is we adopted isabella we adopted oh, yeah. her when she was 18 months old. Yeah. And, and at what point in the story did this happen? Well, you've got all this going on in your life. Yeah. And you did that you were like, I know, let's adopt a little girl. What At what point in the story did, you, did well, this come and, and to you? And then I go back to my statement again. It's like, <laughs> I was not on board with this whatsoever. But you, you've got to keep in mind that when my wife makes her mind up to do something, uh, it's usually going to happen, but it took us a little while to get to that process. Yeah. We had classes, yeah, a lot of once I met her and she came home with us after a year or so, it, I was, we were fine. She I was your fine. child. Chris met Isabella for the first time and she put her little arms up for him to pick her up. That was it. I was done. But why, why did this come to you, Anna? What was, what was the impetus behind this? Growing up in Brazil, I visited an orphanage when I was a teenager, and um, that changed me uh, in a way that uh, I, I was touched by uh, those poor kids that had nothing, nothing, nothing. And we brought them little gifts, and they were thrilled. And I thought, you know, when I grow up, I want to adopt a child. And my thought was, I want to adopt a child from Brazil, but that didn't work out. And our pastor, Ken Hutchison, again, they had started a, an adoption agency through the uh, church, and that adoption was free of charge, uh, adopting children from uh, the foster care system. And we start praying, we start taking classes, and um, a year after we started this process, I got a call from my from our case manager, and she said, you know, there's this little girl um, that I'd like you to meet. Um, and of course, you know, the files and files of um, all that she had gone through um, were hard to read. And uh, and I prayed, Lord, please, if this is not the child, please don't let me uh, get attached to her. And I met her. And uh, she came in, it was like a little ray of sunshine, smiling, came straight at me and started talking. And, I mean, this girl, she was 18 months old, and she talked. Yeah. Uh, so a week later, with Kurt and John, and she still, still talked. Talk <laughs> yeah. <a lot. laughs> I brought Kurt. Uh, Jonathan to meet her and she came straight to 
had a little arms up for him to pick her up, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. I love it. It's it's like the icing on a really good cake because the like to me, that shows so much hope that you could that you did that and that you could still do that. That shows so much hope. I mentioned before that um, you're an entrepreneur too, Kurt. That uh, I think that people have a misconception that if you were a, a pro football player, that you guys must have money stuffed in mattresses and it's coming out your ears, right? Wait. Uh, <laughs> am I wrong? Do you have money stuffed in mattresses? Yeah, that's, that's a perception, yes. yeah. Um, and uh, you, when you retired, because and you had to do forced retirement because of an injury. Um, then, right. then you you uh, had car dealerships, uh, right. but my understanding is that now you've had another career tra transition. Tell us what that is. I'm in the insurance industry. I'm a farmer's uh, insurance agent, and I've been doing that for about two and a half years, three years now. Uh, prior to that, I was in the insurance industry, still in the insurance industry, but more on the employee benefit side of it. So I transitioned inside of the. Uh, insurance industry, but just in a different category. And I asked you to bring this up, Kurt, because there's a thing on this show where we always talk about if you have a choice, if you have a choice that you need to do business with someone, wouldn't you rather do business with an autism parent who gets it and and that you can help to be a part of their, uh, you know, being able to keep the roof over the head and food on the table. So I'm sure... We have a lot of viewers who watch in the Vancouver and Portland area. Is that where you guys still are? Yes, yes, that is correct. So, We're I, Camas, Washington. And so I, I want to tell them that if they're looking to do insurance, that they can do their insurance through you, because wouldn't that be a happier thing? I would love it. Thank right? you. you. You you know what? You give great endorsements. <laughs> we really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Hey, we're all part of the same family, and I think I might be, yeah. I, I, I feel like your your wife and I are sisters from another mother. There <laughs> you go. I, there you go. I, you know what? That. You guys have a real, real good connection here. <laughs> but Kurt, I, I have to say, as much as a connection of, I, like, as I was reading your wife's words, and I was nodding and going, yes, 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 being able to read the flip side and hearing it from your point of view was really what I needed. That was oh, wow. really oh. what I needed. So well, you know what? Here's here's something interesting. When we first started this process in writing the book. We were in person. third person, yeah. ah. and uh, we and it stayed that way for for a while until we got on board with Amazon. Yeah, and then the editor from Amazon uh, said, uh, "No, we're going to do it in third person no, or first person." person. And I said, and "The readers want to hear your voice." Yep. And I said, "I don't want to do that because <laughs> now I got to really kind of talk and open up." Because yeah. beforehand, we could kind of gloss through some stuff. But in the long run, I'm glad she did that because it forced us to, forced me, yeah. not necessarily her, but forced me to have to talk about things. That yeah. Are, Whoever you know. made that decision deserves a raise because that's, that's <laughs> what is so special about this book is that I, I feel like I know you guys, having read the book, I... I feel a kinship because there are parts of the story that I, 
I really relate to. I mean, obviously, there are things about your story that are not my story, but I, there are parts of the story that I really related to. And the idea of hearing, I mean, honestly, when you guys talk about depression, I mean, stop the presses. So amazing to hear a couple talk openly about depression and what each of you didn't know about what the other one was going through and which what the other one you know was thinking and what you didn't know oh honestly it's beautiful it's this is an important book he didn't know that i, I mean he knew that i was suffering from depression he didn't know the extent until uh we opened up uh with dave bowling our co-writer and uh that I was thinking about, you know, just me and the boys being gone so Kurt and Jonathan could have a normal life. So he didn't know that until we started this process. Yeah. yeah I knew she was struggling, and the only thing I could do was just stay close. Be, yeah, and be, be there, here for me, yeah. Be supportive, try to uh, assist as much as, as, I, as I could, pray a lot. Uh, uh, fellowship uh, with with others and and so on and so forth and you know I, I I'm very glad that she did not okay. she decided not to go down that route yeah uh, because I think in, in the uh, it would have been it yeah. would have been devastating and I don't even like to think about yeah. that but and when you mentioned Jonathan when we decided uh, that Jonathan needed to have a chapter um. We were thinking not just of him, but all the other siblings that don't have a voice. Yeah. And usually just push it aside because there's so much energy and time spent on the child with autism and surviving all of this. So it was important to let Jonathan um, talk about his pain. And we yeah. end up apologizing. After, okay. we, after we kind of went through the book and went through the exercise of doing it, we realized that you know, we, he, he was uh, left out on a, on a number yeah. of fronts. So we basically went to him and apologized yeah. and asked him. And was that him. healing for everybody? Oh, yes. I think yes. so. I yes. think so. He's wow. a wonderful young man and uh, with a heart, a big heart, very uh, compassionate and patient. And, um, and sympathetic. Yes. And he understands We're it. And, he, and, he sees. and it's a ballet as well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it, it's... It's been therapeutic to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, from I, I think differently probably for me than for my wife, and maybe differently for Jonathan or for those siblings to, to know that uh, you know that uh, as a family, it's important that you do communicate yeah. and that you do you know talk about things that you really don't want to talk about. Has uh, Jonathan uh, read the whole book now? Yes. Yeah, he's read it. Yes. And the other day when we went to the Amazon headquarters and we were speaking, um, and the interviewer uh, asked Jonathan, uh, there's a part in the book that um, we talked about, uh, he was having a little, you know, poor me, you know, my family and growing up with his boys with autism, and I had to put him against the wall oh. and, uh, and tell him, you know, how dare you? This is the family that God chose for you. So I know it's hard, but we, we'll get through it together. Yeah. And um, he actually said it was the best thing that happened to him. Wow. It changed perspective, and, uh, and it was, 
he was thankful that I did it. But it took a while to yeah. get to that point. I mean, he was he was angry yeah. and bitter for a, a while. Obviously, yeah. he didn't express it to us as such, but we, we could see it. Yeah. And we're just thankful that uh, he's been able to, at, at 25, to, to come around and say, you know what, I, I love my brothers and I love my family, and yeah, life was, was tough. Uh, and we did struggle, and we've had frustrations, and we've had a number of things, yeah. but we're still together, and we will continue to, to be together. So that's the optimistic side of things that yeah. I like to I like to look at. And but you still have to, you know, you're dealing with reality uh, uh, daily. Yeah. But uh, I, I like to try to stay above the fray as much as I can. Amazing! You guys are amazing. The book is amazing. I really recommend it to everyone. Uh, great book to give for the holidays. I, I particularly, as I said, I'm not going to, spoiler, we're not going to, uh, there's a section of the book that every autism parent needs to read, especially if you have a child that elopes or is drawn to things that are not, uh, you know, safe for them. There's a story in here that you must, must read that I'm not going to give away. Um, but powerful, powerful stuff. It's available on Amazon right now and a great, great gift. I recommend getting two copies for the couple in your life that you uh, know that they've got kid, kid or kids on the spectrum. Uh, guarantee that they will thoroughly enjoy this. It's a page turner. And thank you guys for spending this very special hour. Next time I come up to the Portland area, I'm gonna give you guys a buzz. Let's, let, yeah, let's have lunch. Please, okay. Please, yes, yeah, please. I will. Okay. And again, if the, for all of our families that are up in the Portland, Vancouver area, if you're looking for insurance, here is the perfect farmers insurance agent for you. Where would they? How would they reach out to find you, Kurt? Uh, you can go on the farmers website uh, and just uh, uh, put my name in, and it'll it'll pop up. All right. Be looking for Kurt Warner. He'll take care of you. There's no doubt about it because he gets it, right? Thank you guys so much for this wonderful book and for spending this time with us. It was really special. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, Thank say hi to everybody for us. The dogs were quiet right to the end. There we go. Another country heard from. Wonderful. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful holiday season. You too. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Uh, so that was Kurt and Anna Warner. We're going to, um, uh, what an amazing couple. This is an amazing book. I can't recommend it enough. The Warner Boys. All right, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, it's time for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspa Jackson is going to join me. We've got some in the news. We've also got a couple of great guests that are going to be joining us. Amy Wadsworth is going to be with us. And she is the Next Work Program Director at Columbus Community Center in Salt Lake City. Can't wait to talk with her. And then Susan Cabot is going to be with us. And uh, she is the author of this book right here, Setting Up Classroom Spaces for Students with Autism Spectrum Disorder. You know, I keep talking about we're going to do this Autism in the Classroom seminar. I have not had three minutes to plan it, but we keep giving you a little snippets of things that we want to show on it because 
teachers are wonderful people and I know that if we give them wonderful tools they can do wonderful things with our kids so setting up classroom spaces that support students with autism spectrum disorders sometimes where you put the furniture matters so all of that is coming up and more after these messages stick with us Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself, how on earth can I afford ABA therapy for my child? Well, the short answer is you can't. No one can. It's really expensive and it's overwhelming to most families. But the story doesn't end there, fortunately. The first thing that I want you to think about is tapping insurance resources. So many insurance companies are paying for ABA therapy right now. So that's your first best bet. Make sure and see if your insurance company is providing benefits for ABA therapy and check back often. Now if you see that you don't have insurance right now for ABA, don't panic, there are still other resources. The next place to go is to your local support groups and ask them what local resources there are. That's a great place to ask for information because often states and even counties have support for ABA. And then beyond that, you might consider applying for grants. There are many fabulous grants out there to help you to get support for your ABA therapy. But most important, it's, it's absolutely essential that you get ABA services for your child. We know that that's essential for all of our children and that you won't be able to do it on your own. So seek out those services and support groups that will help you to fund your ABA journey. It's really important to remember that all behaviors happen for a reason. to start Autism Works Now as a small business because 90% of individuals with autism and related disabilities are not employed after graduating from high school. Our mission at Autism Works Now is to create job opportunities for spectrum youth and kids through awareness and education. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Hello, my friend. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here with you. We were just talking because I just did this interview with the, the Warner. Right, the and you suggested from, that I read this book, yes, so I'm going to take I, it home. I'm sending her home with it today because I, I think there are parts of it that are really going to sing to you. Okay. I was high, highly recommending it to everybody, and I know...
you know, I was saying to people that I think it's a very powerful couples book. But, uh -huh. but uh, and you know, as everybody knows, unfortunately, your husband right. died away. Almost, it's been three, almost years. three years. It's like, amazing. Isn't that amazing that it's I, been that long? Because it fashion. seems like it's been 10 minutes in it some does. respect. Although on the other side of it, it feels like a decade since right. we've been able right. to hold read. But I'll tell you something, Nancy. I think there are parts of this book that, I, you know, we did a long time ago when Reed was still hale and hearty. We, mm -hmm. we did a, a 20 minute piece called Facing Fatherhood, yes. where we got a bunch of dads together, and Reed was sort of the um, he he was like the MC that he would sit and ask the dads questions, but he would answer them right. too. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. I, we have to get it to somebody because it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And Reed said beautiful things in it. And there are things that this dad says mm -hmm. in this book because the mom first talks and then the dad talks. There are things that remind me of Reed. And okay. I think I think you're going to find it a really healing book right. in that I'm, respect. Well, I'm um, looking forward to reading it. Yeah, it's really powerful. Um, and you were asking me as you came in, we had our Sensitive Santa event yes. on Saturday. And unfortunately, I don't have pictures to show yet because I was so busy. I took exactly zero pictures. <laughs> we had like four photographers there and a videographer there. And I think next week we'll debut, there'll be a video that we can show okay. of the event. How did it go? It was wonderful and it was lovely. And I have to tell you that one of the highlights of it was that we had some guests join us there were two bus loads of adults that came from a group home oh. to be with us and that you know it was so great to be with the little kids that's always super mm -hmm. fun but to be with those adults mm -hmm. was uh, everybody was talking about it and how right. amazing it was and how we'd all like to spend more time working mm -hmm. with that population it was so fabulous it mm -hmm. was just and I want to say thanks to all the toy manufacturers um, for all the toys that they donated, it was just ridiculous how many toys that we had, and everybody had such a good time. Good. And, and always we have people who cry at the event and say, uh, well, we always have somebody who apologizes, and they, and they go, oh, I'm so sorry that my child, and I always say, did you read The Wall? You're at the We Rock the Spectrum, right. and their motto is the place where nobody has to say they're sorry. Exactly. And we're here for sensitive Santa, like this, we especially don't have to apologize exactly. here. And um, and then people would be like, really, you're okay with the fact that like they're not behaving like somebody thinks they should be? Right, and we're like, right. yeah, no, it's fine. And um, the parents who cried and said, I've never been able to get a Santa picture. There was one little boy in particular that has come at least the last three years that we've done it and, and has a brother. The brother's always excited to see Santa, mm -hmm. and this brother wants nothing to do with Santa. Mm -hmm. And each year he's done more with Santa, but not really had a big confab mm -hmm. with Santa, and mm -hmm. he's older now. So we thought, oh, it's going to be okay. And he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And we said, it's okay. We'll try again later. We tried. He was like, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And then um, there was this miraculous thing that happened. There was a brand new baby there. Mm -hmm. I'm talking like three week old baby. Mm -hmm. And the mom came in and put the baby in Santa's arms. Mm -hmm. And here came the little boy. And mm. he suddenly walked up to Santa and he was like, so. And I don't know what it was about holding the baby, mm -hmm. but then he stood there and talked to Santa for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
And the mom of the baby was so, she wanted a picture of her baby with Santa, but she couldn't get anywhere near because this child was right, standing there talking. Right. And the mom was like, no, no, I get it, I get it, I get it. While the other mom, the mom of the little boy who's never wanted to be anything to do with Santa was taking so many pictures and going, what just happened? But it was, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It was a really special moment. Nice. Um, just, you know, so Santa, and can I tell you, you know, and he just talked a blue streak to oh, Santa. Good. It was insane. And of course, Santa was in top form. So proud. Always Santa is in top form. Uh, so, so proud, <laughs> proud, proud of our Santa. Um, he, I knows, he knows how to interact with those kids, doesn't he? He really does. And I love that one mom came up to me and said, okay, who is that? <laughs> like, <laughs> is that a BCBA? And I said, that is a card-trained dad is what that is. Yeah. That is my husband. Yeah. Um, anyway, I was so proud of him because he, he has just gotten better and better and mm -hmm. better at this. Mm -hmm. And to see him interacting with these kids and adults and making the magic happen. I said to him at one point, I said, I have never loved you more than I do oh, now. Shit. And I'm um, going to cry thinking You're gonna about get it. And I love my husband a lot, but I, but I was like, I have never loved you more than I love you today. Yeah, right. it, was, uh, it was a great thing. And happy that we could do that. Uh, and that yes. we had so much help to make it happen. Anyway. Right. Okay, um, well, we've got some in the news story, Shannon. Yeah, we do. We do, we do, we do. And I'm going to let you kind of talk about this first story after we introduce it, because you have some experience with VR, virtual reality. Yeah. It's being used to help children with learning disabilities and autism. And, this, and there's a great your article. Your son, Jim, has yes. some experience with this. This article came to us from Variety. So you guys can go to variety.com right now and read the full interview. And I thought that it was uh, the full article. And, and I thought that it was really, really interesting. Um, specifically talking about uh, uh, a particular program. I wanted to say a study, but it's more than uh -huh. that. It's a program that's being done at the University of Kansas's Center for Research on Learning and Department of Special Education. Yeah. They've made a huge announcement. They've announced an investment of $2.5 towards a new program to use virtual reality to nurture social skills yes. in students with disabilities, including autism. And I gotta tell you that I, I think they're right, and I sort of wanna say, my son said it first, uh, last, it wasn't this last summer, it was the summer before last, where my son and I were touring the southern states uh, and visiting card offices in Arizona and New Mexico and Texas. And, you know, we would go and visit with an office, and then we would have, like, an afternoon off, you right. know? And sometimes there was a beach to go to. Uh, well, one place, there was a mall right next to one of the offices. So we went to the mall, and they were demoing VR things. And he'd been after me for months to go to Best Buy to see... Um, Oculus is one of the systems, and he wanted, you could sign up to do a free mm -hmm. demo. And I, you know, who had time to do that? And I said, you know, honey, I get car sick on a stationary bicycle. Right. I, don't, I don't want a VR thing where I'm looking off a cliff. I, you know, I don't need that in my life. And, but here we were, and he'd been doing such a good job, you know, visiting the offices and talking to the families and kids and whatever. I said, okay, this afternoon, whatever you want to do, what do you want to do? I want to go to the mall and I want you to try the VR thing. Okay, whatever. Okay, I said, whatever you want. So we went and did it, and I wasn't car sick. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. And I could see why he liked it. 
And so then every place we would go, we would go to a mall and try, and there were a couple of different things out there besides Oculus. So we always have Jem working on a thing where uh, positive reinforcement, right? And it used to be that it was different, but now we can, we can set goals way in advance and say, hey, you know, here's what we want to see over the mm -hmm. next couple of months. What do you want to earn? Right. And he was getting ready to start high school. And there were things that I needed him to do that were going to be hard. Mm -hmm. Like, I wanted him to be on his robotics team, and I knew as a freshman they weren't going to give him much to do, so mm -hmm. it wasn't going to be very reinforcing, so I had to put a reinforcer in place. So I said, okay, he had money that he had saved. He wanted to buy the Oculus. I said, okay, you can buy the Oculus, mm -hmm. but you but I knew he didn't have a computer that would run it. Right. You have to have this big, powerful computer. And I said, here's what you need to do to earn the computer. Mm -hmm. Here's where your grades need to be. Here's how much robotics you have to do. Mm -hmm. Here's how much tutoring you have to do. And man, and it was like a three-month plan, and he did it. So it was uh, almost exactly a year, so it would have been a year ago now, that he we gave him the computer mm -hmm. after his finals were over mm -hmm. and he you know had gotten great grades and everything we gave him the big powerful computer and i thought what's the first thing he's going to want to do with it he's going to want to set it up at home and do this big vr thing mm -hmm. and he's i so i said to him what do you want to do and he said i want to take it to your work and i want to show it to dr grand oh wow and i said okay and he goes, I want to show it to her because I think this is how she's going to be able to help teenagers. Wow. Isn't and that... so I said, all right. And so we brought the VR system here to work. And we set it up on a day that we knew Dr. Grand Pichet was going to be mm -hmm. here. And we said to her, you got to come downstairs. Jem has something he wants to show you. I have video of her playing her first VR game and her reaction. Mm -hmm. Have you ever put one of these headsets on in a no, game? No, I was at your house the other night, and like, oh. they were playing with it. And did Wyatt put it on? Did Wyatt, Wyatt did try it? On what did he minute. say? He didn't really react to it too much. He I didn't? Mean, no. He, I wonder which thing they put him in. I don't know. Because they, you are in an environment. Right. And and depending on which game you're playing, I mean, there was one thing that I had to do where I was rock climbing, mm -hmm. and you fall, and, and it, it, you visually are falling, you know what I mean? Um, but they're, each game is different. Mm -hmm. Like, one that was really exciting for me, I'm sorry, I'm going to admit to being a geek, it was uh, Star Trek. And you got to be whoever you wanted to be. You're on the bridge of the Star Trek Enterprise, and you run missions. And if you want to, you can be the captain mm -hmm. and sit in the chair and and like you're you're there. Right. right. You're there. There. Right. It's craziness. Um, but there are all kinds of things that are super fun. Anyway, Dr. Grampuche tried it, and she was like, "Okay, I get it." Uh -huh. uh, then we made a couple of other people here who are influencers uh, at Card come down, and they were like, "Okay, we get it." So this last year, Card started developing programs for oh. VR, and in fact, uh, there are two different things that are being tested in some of the offices. The big one is a program for safety. Mm -hmm. I can't talk too much about it, but it has been amazing. Mm -hmm. And my son over the summer, it was his first real job that he consulted on the VR things mm -hmm. here at CARD, working with CJ Miyake. Did you ever have CJ Miyake on your Not on, your on our team, but I know CJ. Oh, he's so lovely. He's just one of the top right. people ever. So anyway, uh, please go to Variety, read this article. I think that this is where things are going. Mm -hmm. um, because the funding is not going to be there for teenagers. And you absolutely, if we think about what are the things 
that make success. Uh, and this is a rabbit hole I've been down a lot lately, is like how many hours does it take to be successful at something? Did you know that anybody can become an expert in anything in 10,000 hours? Did you no, know that? No, I did not know that. This is a statistic that's out there. And if you have an affinity for something, you can be, anybody can become an expert in anything in 5,000 hours if you have some innate talent for it. Okay. Like let's say that you want to be a piano concerto person. Right. It's a 10,000 hour job. Okay. That in 10,000 hours, you can get to the point where you can play in a concert. Really? 10,000 hours. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. 10,000 hours is the equivalent of four years of a 40 hour okay. a job, a okay. week job. Uh, but it kind of goes hand in hand with ABA, right? right? That when we're trying to teach somebody something, we need a bunch of hours. Mm -hmm. And we can't get enough hours for the teenagers, partially right. because they're at school, partially because we can't get them funded. Right. But if we could, and, and here's the other part. So you have to have a bunch of hours and it has to be reinforcing. Mm -hmm. So if we could put it in a video game where mm -hmm. it's already reinforcing mm -hmm. and where they will spend more hours doing it because it's reinforcing, mm -hmm. kabow. Okay. Right? Um, and the super cool thing about doing it in a video game is I've been, it's been explained to me, is that you can control the, the variables. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you can be in this environment and somebody can walk up to you and say, hi, my name is Rebecca, and you can shake hands with the Rebecca, mm -hmm. and she can say, are you here to apply for a job? And you get to respond. If you get it wrong, and then they can rate you and say, here's what you could have done better, and then they can run the scenario again and have you try it again. Think about how amazing that could be for our kids going into the job market. Right. Think right. about the endless possibilities. Right, for it's job training. And for everything. Yeah. For everything. Because it isn't just uh, job training. You could learn anything in mm -hmm. these environments because mm -hmm. you, could, you could be in an office environment. There is a right. game where you play office worker. You oh. play office worker. And on the screen, it'll pop up and it'll say, staple the papers to your left. And you have to take them and you have to find the stapler and you have to staple them. Uh -huh. And then it'll say, you know, file this um, in, in the alphabet. And it's hilarious because while you're doing it, one of your coworkers or one of your cubicles is throwing paper at your head. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it keeps you involved in it, but you're learning office skills. Right. But believe me, there's another one where you learn how to be a short order cook. My husband did that one when he tried it. He burned the entire kitchen, <laughs> caught something on fire in the microwave because you have to multitask, okay. right? Anything, anything, anything. Okay, we're running late on time. Right, but so, so we got to get to our other story. Yes, we have. Um... This has been all over the news lately. Yeah. The death of the 13-year-old student at a Northern California private school. Yeah. And basically they found that the school has violated state rules because the staff put him in a face-down restraint position for nearly an hour. Um, here's the thing that's so, super upsetting to me. When this story first broke, the school was saying, we contract with a very reputable company, we follow the mm -hmm. rules, we do all this stuff, we didn't do anything wrong. While everyone in the community was going, how can you take that stance uh, right. so early on in? But as of yesterday, they're saying that, you know, it's, it's relatively clear mm -hmm. that there's nobody who would stand behind putting somebody face down for an hour. No, and, and they did the physical restraint when they were, he was disciplined by a teacher for kicking a wall. 
And, and I also hate that what uh, the school or originally described him as being six feet tall and around 280 pounds, uh, but medical records show that he was five foot three and weighed only 180 right, pounds. Right, right. You know, um, th there's a life that has been lost because somebody didn't do, and not just one person, mm -hmm. um, you know, the one person, the, the, the people who were restraining him, it's not just them. The buck stops with whoever hired those people, mm -hmm. whoever signed off on those people working with this individual, and people stood around. This is a loss of a life. And I can't imagine what these parents are going through, but I hope that we as a community will rise up and, and say, that this is it. Yeah, this Stops is not here. acceptable. We, 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 you know, this life cannot be lost in right. vain. Let's make this better. Please, please, please. Okay. We have okay. two amazing guests that are going to be with us. We I do. don't know which one is first. Do you? I don't. I don't know whether it's Amy Wadsworth from the Next Work Direct. She's the Next Work Director of the Columbus Community Center. I have a feeling it's her. Is it? It's Amy next. Okay. Yep, Amy next. Amy right. Wadsworth. All right. So we're, we're going to take be a break. With her. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. If you're watching Autism Live, chances are you care about the life of someone or perhaps many people living with autism. You spend countless hours trying to make a better life for them. It may not have been easy for you to watch the show today. You know, sometimes you could be juggling so many balls in the air, you feel like a circus performer. I remember recently saying to a friend that as the mother of a son with autism, plus all the other challenges in my life, I feel like I'm carrying a tray full of glasses of water, and that if one of them topples over, the whole thing is gonna go crashing down. This empowerment moment is all about you. Now, I'm not a doctor or a therapist, but over the last nine years in my autism journey, I've learned some things that have helped me shift from being a victim to having hope. See, I've been in that place, down on the kitchen floor, on my knees, praying for answers of what happened to my child. I've been in that place covered with blood and tears after one of Wyatt's giant tantrums where I said, where has my fairy tale life gone? I have a feeling you're a member of that kitchen floor club too. It's been a process but I've come from that place of being a victim to becoming an advocate for my son Wyatt and for many others as the executive director of ACT Today or Autism Care and Treatment Today. Let's start with reframing the way you think about yourself and your child. I want you to say after me, I'm an activist. That's right. I'm an activist because just by watching this program you are taking positive steps to make the world a better place for your child or someone else living with autism. You are a positive force of action in the world. 
I want you to start thinking of your so-called disability as an opportunity because it's within our challenges that our greatness is revealed. That's where we find our courage and resiliency. And parenting a child with autism is one of the greatest challenges a parent can face. You have the choice to see this as a journey of self-discovery. Some people take expeditions to climb Mount Everest to see what they're made of. You don't have to travel that far because parenting a child with autism is an expedition of the soul. Until next time, stay strong and keep the faith. What is autism? 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 I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> trying to uh, just. Um... Let me think. <laughs> oh man, that's a great one. Yes. Uh, autism. Uh, autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability, and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another, it's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. That we're, was quick. We're so busy. I'm, I'm having such a wonderful time talking to I our guests. Know. Well, we're uh, joined by our guest, who is Amy M. Wadsworth. She is the Next Work Program Director at Columbus Community Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. And Amy attended the University of Utah, took 17 years off to raise her children, one of whom is on the autism spectrum, before she returned to school in her 40s to finish school and go on to get her master's degree in human development and social policies with a certificate in disability studies. And then she started as a researcher at Columbus and helped to develop the Next Work program from the ground up. So that we really want to talk to you about this amazing program. And Amy, thank you for being with us. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about what Next Work and what the program is. So the Next Work program focuses on adults with autism and um, particularly those that are uh, type 1, higher functioning, more Asperger's. Um, there's a lot of different ways to refer to it. Um, so they're basically individuals that have autism, but they don't have a cognitive disability in addition to that. So um, we work with them to help them find jobs. We also have classes that we um, use to help them to prepare to, uh, to be ready for the workforce. And we provide job coaching once we get them in a job. So we want to, you know, help them have longevity and keep the job. Well, and we talk all the time here about how important it is for, for people to be able to have a job and 
and and what comes with that because I'll be honest with you I did not realize before I don't know whether I was just living in a fool's paradise but I didn't realize how much it meant to, like I know people who don't want a job mm -hmm. I think we all know people who don't want a job and yet when I have met individuals on the spectrum wherever they fall on the spectrum right. and you talk to them about would they like to have a job I am always amazed and lifted up by the fact that they want to work they see yes. it as a, a like a right that that helps to make them a, you know an adult um, and that sort of makes sense to me now, where, where before I just, I guess I was oblivious to it. But um, you must see a lot of this, people who their lives are changed by the ability to be employable, yes? Definitely. It's part of your identity, right? Yeah. Right. What are some of yeah. the autism-specific challenges in finding a job, Amy? Well, one is um, the networking, you know, I mean, so much of getting a job relies on your social skills. And so they have to rely on something that is extremely challenging for them to even get a job. So we want to help and alleviate that a little bit. So we want to take some of the pressure out of uh, job interviews, out of networking to um, meet new people. We take our clients out on tours of businesses um, where they might want to work so they can get a good idea of what the culture is like and and see whether they'll fit there we also want to meet the managers and um, the individuals that they'll be working with so we can better understand how we can help with that cultural transition that they make as they move into work I'm wondering um, when you because part of what you do is that you partner with businesses correct yes and what is the secret to your success there? Because how is it that you're overcoming the fear of employers about what they don't know about autism? Right. I think, well, part of it, I think the stigma is really um, starting to go away. They have a long way to go. But um, especially Utah is a very interesting place. And you know this since you were here in Provo for a while. Yeah. But um there's a lot of collaboration, and I mean, this is, you know, we have a lot of volunteerism, and everybody's really interesting or interested in collaborating. And so we have businesses in Utah that are willing to do that, and, and it's part of their culture that they, um, you know, they're changing their diversity, um, their standards of diversity and inclusion, and it's becoming part of corporate cultures in Utah. Now, you offer apprenticeships and internships, is that correct? We, um, so what we do, we have a couple of different programs at Columbus, and one is called the um, Columbus Connect program, and that was not my program, but um, it's, it's a transition program, and we encourage our clients to participate in that program before they come to us, and that program helps individuals to, um, to, you know, when they're getting done with school and they're figuring out how to transition to adult life. And so they do a lot of career exploration and a lot of, um, you know, just trying to figure out what kinds of things they, the kids like to do. And so after they, and, and they do get an internship, that's part of that, is that they get um, a two-week paid internship or a short-term paid internship um, so that they can figure out what it's like to be in the workplace. And then um, 
when they come into next work, it's going to be more, it's going to be a longer term apprenticeship. And it kind of depends on the business that we're working with and the relationship that we have with that business. So currently we have a really good uh, relationship with a company here in Utah called Inasys. And they make um, smart lights. So they're, they're lights that you can change the color um, and, you know, the warmth, the temperature of the, of the light. And you can also, you know, fade it so that it's brighter or, or uh, dimmer. And so we have internships where we can set them up to do the manufacturing of these lights. And they learn more about electronics and stuff like that. And it kind of lets us know um, their aptitude for working with electronics and computers and things. I love that. I love those lights, too. Yeah, uh, oh, it's great. Yeah, and they're amazing. We're, we're actually going to um, have those lights put in our new building, um, which is called the Hub of Opportunity. Yes, talk and, to us about the yeah. Hub. Yeah, so this is our next project. We've actually broken ground already, and it will open next year. Um, in January of 2020, we'll be able to move some people in. And it's a live-work situation, and it's mixed housing. So there will be apartments there. Some of those apartments will be, well, 16 of those apartments are for um, next work clients. And that will be um, our transition academy. So individuals can live there. Um, in the apartments, we'll have a, a residential assistant there, kind of like you would in the dorm. And they'll be able to take life skills classes. We'll train them on um, safety, help, um, how to uh, do your finances, and, you know, all the skills that you would need to live independently. And that's a 16-month program, and by the time they're done with that, um, we'll set them up with an internship or an apprenticeship. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really exciting, and it's located right on a transit line. So, um, you know, here in Utah, we've got the tracks, um, transit that goes right along the I-15 corridor and so it's very centralized and the location of our um, of the hub will be right there next to a track station. So it's got great access to transportation. Yes. Right. And, and we'll provide transit training and everything so that these individuals will be able to really experience um, our city. Wonderful. Now, Amy, I'm just curious because we said at the beginning that you have a, a child who's on the spectrum. I, I imagine a young adult uh, by now. Yeah. Um, and how much of that influenced you going into this field? Oh, I never would have gone into this field without her. It, I mean, it wouldn't even it wouldn't even cross my <laughs> mind. <laughs> really, um, she's she's a life changer. Sure. And what is she doing today? Tell us how she's involved. So she is more severely impacted with her disability. Mm -hmm. So, and she also has epilepsy. So um, she needs more support. So the program wouldn't work for her. Right. Um, but she's currently getting customized employment services, which means um, she's going through a discovery process. And um, the individual that's working with her, her name is Janet Hellickson, and she also works here at Columbus. And... Um, she is taking Jessica's my daughter, uh -huh. and she's taking her to different locations and and watching her engage in the community and and figuring out through observation what Jessica's skills are, which is perfect because she's uh, she's nonverbal mostly, and um, 
but she still has a lot of skills. And so it's, uh, it's great to have her be interacting in the community and hopefully we'll be able to carve out a job for her that will be able to use her skills. Mm -hmm. Because I love Utah so much, and we were talking before that I, I had taught for a period of time in the state of Utah, and you know, so I, and I have friends who, who teach there. So and I so I kind of you know wherever I have friends in a state, I kind of keep track of what autism is doing. And I was always dismayed because for a lot of years, autism uh, Utah was very behind in the field mm -hmm. of autism. That there weren't services, there wasn't a mandate for therapies, there wasn't funding for things. But I gotta say that when Utah got on board, Utah caught up quick. It's actually one of the best states to be in right now for services because it services across a wide variety for, right. you know, a lot of states don't have something like this in mm -hmm. place for adults, Amy. Mm -hmm. So right. um, I have a strong sense that you've been a part of that catching up. Well, it's been really nice. There's been a lot of synergy in Utah um, with this endeavor. So um, I mentioned I went or in the bio, I mentioned that I went back to school and got my master's degree. And um, my graduate project was actually a book about autism in adulthood. And it was something that, you know, there was so little research on that um, really the only, um, uh, the only research we had to tap into was case studies. And things that individuals who were working in the community already were doing with small, you know, small sets, small um, groups of individuals. And so um, that book that we worked on was really groundbreaking. And we had, um, we had some chapters that were written by um, a lot of the, the individuals throughout the country and really throughout the world who are front runners in autism and adulthood. Well, and you're teasing us, Amy. Amy, you're teasing us. What's the name of the book? Oh, well, you know what? Let me go grab it. I can't think off the top of my head what it is. Hang on. <laughs> that's that's when, when you know you're busy, when you can't think of the name of the book that you wrote. Right. <laughs> I have too many things in my head right now, I that's guess. Right. Um, so it's called Autism Spectrum Disorder in Mid and Later Life. So there it is right there. There we go. And uh, Scott Wright was my mentor. Bad. And um, so this book, I mean, we've got, I, I didn't, I wasn't intending to pitch the book, but I'm going to now. Um, yeah, so we've got, you know, Amanda Bakian, who is a researcher, Hillary Kuhn, um, their, uh, Temple Grandin wrote a chapter, uh, Judy Endow, who I don't know if you're familiar with her, but yes. she does blogs. Yeah, I'm friends with Judy. Um, so she has a chapter in there, and um, we also have an organization here called Optimizing Autism, and it was created by autists for autists. And um, the gentleman that runs that, his name is Elliot Francis, and he's just amazing. He's he's an autist, and he um, his ability to explain and describe his um, his experiences and the way that he sees the world is just, it's very enlightening. It's so fun to listen to him talk and it gives you a whole new perspective on on autism and, and how... So where do we get the book? So what? Where do we get the book? Um, you can get it on Amazon. Fabulous. It was published in England. So um, 
well, actually Philadelphia, but Jessica Kingsley is the publisher. Right. We love so publisher. They're based in England. So. Fabulous. And anyway. Amy, how can people get in touch with you with the next work program? Um, so we're still updating our website. Um, we are, you know, we're growing like crazy. The program is only three years old. And that was um, back when we were still researching and trying to figure out how we wanted, you know, what elements we wanted in the program. So, um, but the website for Columbus is Columbus, it's www.columbusserves.org. Okay. And um, we're under community employment. So that's where my contact information is. Um, and, yeah, you can email me or... And I can give you my email address right now if you'd like. Okay, sure. It's up to you. Okay, it's A. Wadsworth, and that's W-A-D-S-W-O-R-T-H, at columbusserve.org. So they can contact you to find out more about the Next Work program. Thank yes. you so much for the work that you're doing in Utah. Oh, thank you. We're, we're thrilled. It's great. All right, we'll look right, forward to you, talking Amy. to you again. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Okay, we've got another guest, because we're not done yet. No, Susan Cabot, who is the author of this book, Setting Up Classroom Spaces That Support Students with Autism Spectrum Disorder. Love it. So we're going to be back with her after these messages. Don't go away. Stay with us. Justin and Jessica were premature babies, so we always were very conscientious of their development. But I think it was probably 15 months, Justin started getting really obsessive compulsive with opening and closing doors. And Justin started tantruming a lot too. These would be major tantrums that were just completely debilitating to the family. Having to take them out of the house, put them in the car, drive around just to calm them down. Yeah, I remember a breaking point and just thinking, you know what, we gotta do something, this is not right. Once we were on the track to getting a diagnosis for autism, we started sharing that with our close friends and family. It just so happens that somebody from our older daughter's private school called us out of the blue. She introduced herself and she says, I know that recovery is possible. Those words so early in our journey were a guiding force for us. As we got more educated in knowing what is effective therapies for kids with autism, we realized quality ABA is vital to that progress. That's where we decided that CARD was the right provider for us and for our son. Justin responded very well to therapy. The behaviors were tracked and we saw that what was being instituted was working. Justin, what are you doing? You are coloring, good for you. There was real progress and there was progress that was tangible. I just remember when he, he made a sentence, he said a sentence. We were just happy about it going, no way, I can't believe you just did that. What's the date? The 18th. 18th of what month? December. Oh, 
What year is it? 2007. Oh, okay. So how old are you today then? The therapies that CARD did for Justin didn't just impact his daily living skills, but it was a positive impact on our entire family. I'm Justin. I am in fourth grade. I like playing video games sometimes. My dream to build a teleporting machine. Like sometimes if like we're on an airplane and it's like really long, you guys just say, oh, hurry up with that teleporting machine. I'm waiting on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started Friday Night Lights. This is our third game of the season, and um, it's pretty fun. You have to be fast. We attribute so much of Justin's recovery to CARD. Their goal was the same as our goal. We wanted Justin recovered. June 12, 2008 is a day that I celebrate every year because that is the day that Justin was deemed recovered from autism. And Dr. Doreen Grandpiche met with us, looked at him and just said, he's brilliant. You need to keep his mind stimulated because he's very smart and he has no residual traits of autism. And we are back with Let's Talk Autism, and now we are joined by Susan Cabot. Uh, Susan is the executive director of the Autism Institute at the Mailman Siegel Center for Human Development at Nova Southeastern University. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. And you have a, if I were to go through your bio, it's, it would take the rest of the show. She, uh, <laughs> you have quite a bio. Uh, and background in autism research and development. And she's and the author of this amazing book that I'm holding up in my hands. It is the Setting Up Classroom Spaces That Support Students with Autism Spectrum Disorders. And it would take us a week to go through her entire resume, but suffice it to say, she has not been sitting still idly. No. She's been working in this field for a long time. Uh, Susan, we're thrilled to have you. Should we be referring to you as Dr. Cabot? No, so okay. it's fine. Okay. Okay. Susan, tell us a little bit about the book and what is in, in the contents of the book and why it's important. Well, one of the areas that I feel is so important in terms of setting up classroom spaces uh, for our students on the spectrum, to me it's really a foundational part of an educational program. And uh, it's really, we found it to be really important and that when a classroom is well organized, everybody in the classroom feels better. The staff feel better, the students feel better, everything is where it's supposed to be, the learning centers are well defined so that children are not continuously trying to run out of them, the, teacher, the teachers have their materials arranged in the spaces that they're going to be using them. All the spaces are visually engineered so that whatever visual supports you need to support the children's communication are right there. Um, and we find that really it cuts down on a lot of behavioral 
issues in our children. That book really focuses on the physical environment itself, but we do feel that there are a lot of other organizational strategies in terms of the way the day is structured, the periods of learning, what kinds of activities are put into what blocks of time, uh, how the staff are zoned and organized in the classroom, where they're supposed to be, what students they're supposed to be assigned to, um, all of that kind of designed in advance so that our classrooms are not, um, people are not kind of flying by the seat of their pants, that everybody is uh, organized and, and everything is structured. And you work closely with Christine Reeve, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, who's the co-author for this wonderful book. Um, I, I'm just always stunned by the fact, I'm a former teacher, and I think a lot of times people don't understand how difficult being a teacher is, how many things there are that you have to, you have to be able to multitask in a way that I think would be stunning to the average person. And, and I think that people walk into a classroom and a lot of times if they don't have a background in education, they see chaos even though a lot of times it's very controlled chaos, that it's a teacher who knows, like if you said to her, I need you to find this one piece of information, a good teacher would be able to find it you know, very quickly because she's organized and, and knows where her stuff is. I'm saying she, but it could mm -hmm. be she or he. But, but a lot of times it is chaos because there are teachers who have just thrown things into a classroom and don't know where things are, and you can tell when you walk into a classroom by the children's behavior, how well the teacher has this classroom running. But explain that to people who don't understand. Uh, so, yeah. It's, it's interesting because I am responsible for a preschool program that has 16 classes for children with autism. And we have a model here, and there's a lot of consistency between the 16 classes. You walk into that pretty much, there are the same elements. They look pretty much the same. But it is interesting that different teachers bring different strengths to the position with them. And if we have a teacher who herself is not organized, then we either have to find teacher aides who are very organized, who can take on that role in the classroom, in this case, we had a teacher whose classroom just became very disorganized. There were two children that were assigned to that class that had very challenging behaviors. And so this weekend, I actually had a team of five of the support staff and the teacher come into the classroom, and it took us about five hours, but we re- we reset the classroom from top to bottom um, because the space wasn't working. The materials had become disorganized. The schedule wasn't working for the group of students that were in the class. And again, it's about, for me, starting from the bottom up. And that foundation really is that physical environment and so people don't realize what an impact that has and how much work it takes to actually get the classroom organized 
the way you want it to be organized. You know, we took out excess materials. We moved materials. We moved centers in the classroom. And sometimes you have to move the space multiple times, uh, you know, the furniture around in the space multiple times to really get it to kind of feel right. So um, it is a, it's a big job to set up a classroom that really works for students on the spectrum. It, I, I can't even imagine how glorious that must have been for this teacher to have a team come in and, and have them reset her classroom. What did you see behaviorally from the kids in the classroom afterwards? Was it a ginormous shift? So it was. Um, it, and it wasn't only a shift for the children. It was a big shift for the staff. Yeah. Um, we did it over the weekend on Saturday, and Monday... Uh, everybody came into the classroom. At the end of the day, we had the staff, and this was a class that has three aides with the teacher and nine children. We brought everybody together, and, and we asked them, you know, what do you think went right? And they were so fast to say, you know, the space. The space was so much better. The space worked right. We made the circle time area smaller. Uh, that worked better. We put it in the teacher had to be a little closer to the students. That worked better. Um, we rotated their centers so that there was less opportunity for the students to kind of escape between those centers as they were transitioning. And you know, far and above, where last week the students had actually been kind of clearing surfaces and emptying shelves and throwing stuff around. And when you walked in the classroom midday, it looked like a tornado hit it. Uh, one of the aides said, at the end of the day, I just looked around the room and I'm like, I don't have anything to clean up. Yeah. Uh, whereas before they were just spending a lot of time putting stuff back, uh, now they didn't have to do that. It was like everything had a place. There was not as much stuff available to the students. The students were staying in their spaces more than just wandering and, and throwing stuff around. So the, the staff themselves recognized that big difference and the influence that had on the students' behavior. Absolutely. I wish we had more time because I have a strong sense that we could talk to you about anything and that you would have the answers like Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> but we're out of time. I want to say this, though. Um, if, if your child is in a classroom and you don't feel like things are everything that they could be, very lovingly get this book for your child's teacher and, and give this to them. It's available at all major booksellers, correct? You can get it on Amazon. Yeah. And... Uh -huh. Uh, great book. Once again, setting up classroom spaces that support students with autism spectrum disorders. With charts, very easy to read uh, chapters that can help any teacher to have their, their classroom run better. Um, definitely, we want to have you come back. We keep saying we're going to do an autism in the classroom uh, seminar, and we, we definitely want you guys to come back and, and do a whole uh, segment of that with us, and I'll be in touch with you to do that, okay? That would be great. All right. Okay, thank Susan, you so thank you much. For Happy us. holidays. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um,
wonderful guests that yeah. we had today. It's just been a lovely two hours being with you guys. We've got a big show tomorrow. Okay, tell us about it. And um, we, we've got a guest. Candace Pogie is going to be with us as our autism expert. She's going to be answering questions from you guys. We have um, Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, who's going to be with us. And then we have a dad who works in the field of radio uh -huh. who uh, is uh, well-known in Southern California who's going to be on the show talking about a song that he wrote for his son. I think you guys are all going to be really inspired by this wonderful autism dad. So that plus a mindfulness moment and maybe an autism in the classroom moment, we'll see how much we can jam into okay. one day. Sounds so good. all of that and much, much more happening tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. All right. Bye-bye for, for now. Bye-bye for now.